Good morning, and welcome to LifeBridge. Good morning, everybody. We're so glad you're here with us today. I'm Tia. I'm the outreach coordinator, and I'm pulling my husband Jim up here to do this with me because he's better at public speaking. I'm here to drink coffee. Uh, but glad to have you with us. We are a community here at LifeBridge. We do life together. We try to do that, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. And as part of a church, you're part of a new family. Now, families, we know, are sometimes messy. And sometimes when you committed to doing a community, a church, that can get messy too. But it's always worth it. So thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, everybody, for being here. We've got a lot going on, and we wanted to just highlight real quickly some of the stuff in the conference week that's coming up. So... We've got a slide coming, yeah. So the 14th to the 21st, week before Thanksgiving, is kind of a focus week for us. And the things that are happening in that week, if we flip to the next one, I want to make sure you're aware of uh, three things happening during that week. So on Tuesday night, we're going to do some soul care uh, night here at the church. So this will be a chance for us to get together and really just focus on gratitude, a great thing to do right before the Thanksgiving traditions of eating too much food and too much pie. Uh, but then we're also doing two courses this time. And these courses are each offered on Thursday and Saturday. Thursday night, Saturday morning. Each course at the same time. Uh, they're in different places here at the church. And this is really a great opportunity for us to come together and try to learn how to apply what we've been doing in the whole conference around reconstructing our faith and do that together. So there will be childcare, there will be food. So please uh, check this out on your schedule. You can register on the website, and it would be great to have everybody there. Yeah, these, cl these classes are for everyone. You know, you might go, like, I've been in the Bible a long time, but these are for everyone and to know where LifeBridge is and what we believe and what we um, believe about the Bible. Um, also, thank you for those of you who call LifeBridge your home, for your generosity and supporting what we do here. Um, one thing the Bible does teach us is that, you know, it's better to give than receive, and that our, when we give, it helps deter that part of us that can be selfish and just think about our own desires um, when we reach out to other people. Yeah. So thanks. Yeah, thank you for that. So we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Uh, we did this back in September, and we're calling it Gratitude Moments. So I want you to put your thinking cap on about gratitude things in your life. And specifically, we're going to give each of us, not each of us, three of us, a chance to share uh, within the church here this morning. And be thinking about things that you're thankful for that are part of life, being part of LifeBridge and belonging here at LifeBridge in the community. And they could be things that are happening in your life through relationships that you formed here, through something that you've learned and been able to apply and say in the workplace, uh, or in your family, or some other way. So... We want to just take the moment to highlight things that, like, church isn't just Sunday morning. It should be all week. It should be relationships and helping each other. And so put your thinking cap on. Is there something um, that you've experienced, a meal, someone helping you move, uh, anything that's happened, a phone call someone made to you when you needed it, conversation? Yeah, we'd love to Raise let, your hand. Let you share. Be the first Feel free. One. Be brave. Linda. Um, yeah, I would say last month my dad had passed away, and we were having a really hard time trying to find a um, place to hold his funeral luncheon. 
and I put a text out to Tia, um, and I'm going to say in a matter of minutes she got back to me, and she and, and she said, you know, maybe LifeBridge can do it. And I'm like, really? You know, never even thought um, the funeral was going to be out in Twin Lakes. Um, never thought of LifeBridge, but I'm going to say in a matter of again minutes. Um, she had people together. She said, we can set up, we can take down. Um, and I just thought, what a blessing um, that is to be able to have um, people that you can reach out in your church family, and they're there for you. So I am thankful for that. That's great. Thanks, Linda. Thanks, Linda. Glad we could be there for you. Anyone else? Anyone else care to share? I know everyone loves public speaking, right? So I just some random guy roaming around by you with a microphone, your blood pressure just went up, it's okay. Don't worry, it's not scary, we're, we're, we're all family here, it's okay. And if we don't, that's fine too. I know in a similar vein, uh, Linda, for me, you know, we've been going a lot with, uh, through a lot with my dad, uh, with health issues and stuff. When you hit 90, these things happen. And I've had to be down there a lot uh, with him and helping out with my two sisters. And this church family has been surrounding us as well. It's been fantastic. It's just a, sometimes you get a text, sometimes you get a quick phone call. How's it going? Can I help you? Praying for you, thinking about you. Uh, so uh, that's been great for me personally. So I just want to share that too. Well, thank you, and thank you, Linda, Jim. And let's welcome up John Adams for the message. Thanks, guys. And if you don't share, that means that I'm going to share more. So we gave you an opportunity to talk. Now you get to listen to me talk more. I got more time. Sweet. Um, no, but even just yesterday, like on the way home, we were, my wife ran a half marathon. We were up in Door County, and we uh, were on our way home. We were running late and all of this stuff. So we had to like let the dog out. And so two people are sitting right in here. Um, one stayed at the house the night on Friday night to let the dog out. Thanks, Cheryl. And then when Cheryl had to leave and we were running late, Christy stopped over and let the dog out again. So thanks, guys. And that's another simple way that the church is just being the church, doing life together, man. Just all the other Christian cliches. Okay, um, let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. We just praise you. Pray, Lord, over our time together, that as we open your word, that your spirit would move in our hearts. God, help us to unpack and untangle the cultural aspects of our Christian faith that aren't of you and that aren't true. So, Lord, guide us in this process. Help us to trust you for what you truly said. And, Spirit, would you just lead us uh, with, your, with your guidance and in your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so our campaign is called Reconstruct, and what we're doing, I'm just going to mention it briefly. We've, we've gone through it a lot the last few weeks about the, the idea of this campaign, but what tends to happen is we have these blind spots. Uh, we have these untrue beliefs in our life with Christ that are more cultural than Christian, so, and they kind of just become part of what we think it means to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus. Before long, they, they all kind of blur and they come together, and they're one thing in our mind of like this cultural idea it's from the culture, uh, it's not from scripture, it's not from Jesus, but in our concept of what it means to be a Christian, they kind of just become the same thing. And it's inevitable, we all do this, because we all live in culture, and we all are influenced by culture. It's inevitable, we have to. And so what we have to do is deconstruct some of those ideas, 
and then reconstruct them around the truth of Christ. We can't remain deconstructed. We have to build them back up around the truth of what Scripture says, and these ideas are very important. So we've been going through a bunch of these, um, but today we're talking about prosperity for generosity. Prosperity, uh, I would say the pursuit of prosperity, like the last two weeks, how it's not just uh, prosperity that's the problem. It's the overemphasis or the pursuit of prosperity that is the problem. And that is a cultural form that has crept into our Christian faith and is a blind spot for many of us, or is just an untrue belief for many of us, as we will unpack today. Um, so like the last couple of weeks, it's not prosperity. Uh, if God has called you to a career that earns a good income, great, go for it. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but what do we do with that? And how do we pursue it? And what's, our con what's the condition of our heart? in regards to our wealth and to our prosperity. So the last couple of weeks we talked about it's not power that's the problem, it's the pursuit of power. Instead, as Christians, we should just serve one another and love one another. It's not accomplishing accomplishment, last week, that's the problem. It's not achieving results, that's the problem. It's the overemphasis or the pursuit of solely accomplishments and results apart from uh, living in your calling that God has called you to. So the cultural emphasis is on prosperity and wealth, uh, getting really wealthy, all of this. Whereas for Christians, we just focus on being generous is a big part of it. And as we're going to see, trusting in God and living for the kingdom, living out our calling in the kingdom of God. So this is an aspect of our consumeristic culture. I don't have to go into a great deal to emphasize how we are a very consumeristic culture. Just watch a football game this afternoon and you'll see all the ads right? Appealing to our consumerism, uh, telling you you deserve this or whatever. If you're cool, you'll have this thing, whatever this thing is, is the subtle messaging there. Uh, and <clears throat> the extreme form of how this idea in the culture has crept into the church is what's known as the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is basically the belief that God's desire, or God wants to bless every believer with health and wealth. And then if they just have enough faith, and usually that faith is represented by sending money to their organization, then you will have perfect health and wealth. So if you don't have wealth, and if you can't like pay your bills, and you can't, you lose your job, or if you're ill, not doing well, that's usually a sign that you just don't have enough faith. And that idea is destructive. The idea is not found in scripture. So, some of the extreme examples are guys like Benny Hinn, who encourages followers to send seed money. Seed money is an idea that like, hey, you're believing for this miracle, send me money, send me $1,000 on your credit card, and if you can't afford it, yeah, you're, I know, like your, your, your problem is you can't pay your bills, send me $1,000 on this credit card, run up your credit card even further, but then watch the blessings flow after you've done this act of faith, is kind of the idea. That's just wrong. Uh, Kenneth Copeland is another guy who does this. Uh, Creflo Dollar is another dude who, uh, he did this financial campaign a while back to raise money for his new jet for ministry because flying coach is not conducive to the demands of his ministry. And his old jet was breaking down. Dude, you have a jet? What? So John and I always joke when we have to submit our budget to our financial team we put a jet on there or something as a joke. 
We will never have a jet. Okay, just be clear. Uh, and this dude, even, there's even videos on YouTube of him like dancing on a pile of money. So like people are coming up and like put, putting money on the altar and he's like dancing back and forth across the aisle with it with another preacher. And that's the idea. It's like, hey, if you give, God will bless you. Like if you have faith, God will bless you with vast material wealth and health. Okay, most Christians recognize, I'm not worried about you guys like falling for these guys, okay? Uh, most Christians, they recognize these dudes as just charlatans that are running a long con in the name of Jesus. And it's working on a lot of Christians, but it's more because of the cultural emphasis on wealth and prosperity that we already have here. But there are many f- more subtle forms of that that have crept into the church today. Uh, one example of this is in um, uh, the book called The Prayer of Jabez. It's an old, old book. Uh, I doubt any <laughs> if you're reading it now, it's old. It's probably collecting dust on your shelf if you haven't. Um, it's an old book called The Prayer of Jabez written by Bruce Wilkinson. And I didn't buy it. I didn't look. I didn't read it. Okay, I'm not going to because I don't want to encourage books like this by giving them my money. Um, but here's the Amazon description of it. It's a timeless prayer. And I go through a lot more of the problems with this in the devotional, but I'm just gonna emphasize one. It's a timeless prayer that produces timely results. Bruce Wilkinson takes readers to First Chronicles 4.10 to discover how they can release God's miraculous power and experience the blessings God longs to give each of us. That's the assumption, that's the problem, okay? In the context of material wealth and health, uh, the blessings that God longs to give each of us. Does God long to give each of us in this moment, in our lifetime, material wealth and perfect health? The answer to that, you cannot make that promise for God based on scripture. But that is what God indeed wants to give all of us. That is a faulty, false promise. Readers who commit, because if that is true, Jesus wasn't blessed by God, right? Because Jesus died a pretty brutal death that's true, the apostles weren't blessed by God because they were poor for their entire life, right? Readers who commit to offering the same prayer on a regular basis will find themselves extravagantly blessed by God. Can't make that promise for God. And agents of his miraculous power in everyday life. Do you want to be extravagantly blessed by God? Who doesn't, right? And God does want to bless us. Unfortunately, God's description of what it means to live a blessed life is found in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes and not in our American westernized culture which the Beatitudes starts with, I'm gonna get a little testy about this. Okay, sorry guys. The Beatitudes starts with, blessed are the poor. I love how Sky Jatani brings that up and talks about it. He's like, was, it was Jesus serious? He writes a book, is Jesus serious about this? That blessed are the poor? In Luke's version of the gospel, he says, blessed are the poor. In Matthew, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Perhaps you've heard that version more. Same thing, poor people are poor in spirit because they don't have the means by which to execute their will and do what they want. They're poor. They're poor in spirit. Jesus says that's actually an indication of the blessed life. So do we take Jesus seriously or not? Whenever you read a phrase like, do you want to be extravagantly blessed by God? Uh, If this is promising to give you something that you already want, my word of advice is be a little more skeptical of it. Go to scripture because the self-deception here is, is much more powerful. Okay? Because there are aspects of scripture like grace, like the truth of God, like grace is something that's too good to be true. But it's true when you read it according to scripture. So just explore it further. If it's something that you already want, just question it and really dig in and explore it a little bit more. 
If somebody's promising to give you material wealth and physical healing and blessing by just saying this prayer over and over again, be a little bit skeptical and explore it in Scripture. Another example of how this has crept in, and as I said earlier in this campaign, oftentimes we need people outside of our culture to indicate our blind spots for us. Um, A.J. Svoboda, in his book, After Doubt, he tells a story of visiting an African uh, majority Muslim country where he's in this city of over a million people. In over a million people, there are only 25 known Christians in this city. And he wants to meet these Christians. He's, a, can I, he's asking his, his guide and leader of this uh, missionary trip that he's on, can I meet them? I want to see them in their element. I want to learn from them and how they're willing to sacrifice so much to be a follower of Jesus. And the leader of his trip said, no. <laughs> here's, here's his words. I was grieved when they told us that we couldn't meet them. Their reason was simple. They didn't want our consumerist, America-centric, enlightenment faith to rub off on the African Christians. Our form of faith, they told us, was toxic for African Christians. They didn't want our enlightenment to rub off on them. Ouch, right? And I've heard the same thing from missionaries in China or people in the underground church in China. They don't even want to send them here to get educated because they won't come back. Somebody on the way out told me they, they go on mission trips to Jamaica. And in Jamaica, same thing. They don't want to send their people here to get educated because they won't come back. Once they experience the comfort and the luxury and the American life uh, of Christianity, they don't come back after their sending church sent them there. Because our idea of comfort and luxury and material blessing and physical uh, health is toxic to those who are in the persecuted suffering church. That should give us pause. And ultimately, Jesus, he talks about money a lot, and he has a lot more to say about it, about the dangers of it to our spiritual life, and he encourages us to pursue it. I don't... I was trying to, I, I didn't think about it very much. But I thought briefly, I don't, I don't remember any instance where Jesus tells us to pursue material wealth. Maybe it's in there, but I don't. I'm not thinking of it. He much more warns us of the dangers of it. Particularly in Luke 12, 13 to, uh, beginning in verse 13, he really digs into a lot of the problems around our cultural assumptions of how we handle wealth and pursue it. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, this is so good. Like, if you have greed in your life, it will likely boil over and come to the surface when we're talking about inheritance. <laughs> when a loved one passes away who's giving you an inheritance with uh, perhaps other siblings or family and you have to divide it all up, this, this will reveal it, for sure. Of any circumstances in life, this will show up, okay? I have a friend right now who's walking through this, and it's ugly. It's very ugly. It's tearing the family apart. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Okay, Jesus could have very, very clearly said, Look at the law of Moses. The law of Moses says... Uh, the, the oldest sibling gets the larger share and the younger siblings get a portion as well. So just divide it according to that. What are we doing here? But he doesn't. He uses this as a teaching moment. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of... It's not like, watch out, there's something flying at you. No, 
watch out. <laughs> I realized I said it like, watch out, there's a bird coming for you. Um, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. So Jesus recognizes in this man's question, greed. He just wants to get the stuff that his father left him. And now this is, this is a verse that we should all memorize. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So when you're getting stressed out about your house and fixing things or can I buy this or can't I buy this, have this running in the back of your mind. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, self, I added that because I think it's funny. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Live a luxurious lifestyle. Retire early. Take it easy. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Okay, so we are very good in the Western church about reading the words of Jesus, words of Jesus like this, and finding the exceptions <laughs> to excuse our behavior and our own thinking and really our own greed. But it is true. Jesus isn't saying, like, it's wrong to have wealth. Again, if you're called to a, if you're called to an occupation, which is the key, if you're called to an occupation, not just I want more wealth, so I'm going to go get a career in something that produces a ton of wealth. If you're called to it, it's not wrong. But the key is to be rich toward God. If you're wealthy and you're not rich towards God, that's a problem. If you're impoverished and you're not rich towards God, that's a problem too. So what does it mean to be rich towards God? Jesus, he's going to go into it and explain it. And Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. But Jesus, we were talking about money, right? We were talking about building, building wealth and store, storage barns and living comfortably and all that stuff. What Jesus goes into here now is, I think important for us to note, it's not rocket science, it's not, it's not uh, super profound on my part here, but we play this game with ourselves. We tend to deceive ourselves that I'm not idolizing wealth and money all the while, for example, we're idolizing something else that money produces, like food, like clothing, is what Jesus is pointing at here. It's what money buys us that we tend to idolize. So, in this culture, it was, uh, they're worried about what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, that if they didn't make money that day, so if you lived in an agricultural society and you were a day laborer, you went to the market that day, and if you got hired, you made money. If you didn't get hired, you didn't make money. And so, if they didn't make money, they don't feed their kids. If they don't make money, they don't have uh, the resources to buy clothing for their children. 
these are the things they're worried about in this culture. Food and clothing. And Jesus, people listening are like, that, that's what we're actually concerned about. In our culture, uh, very few are concerned about finding food and clothing, especially those who are sitting in here. And if you are, reach out. We will help you. Instead, we're worried about things like comfort and luxury. Can I buy that new iPhone if I don't make enough money? What are we on, 13 now? I don't know. Will my life be as easy in retirement as I want it to be? Like these are the questions that we're worried about. We're worried about experiences. If I don't make enough money and have enough resources, can I dine out at my restaurants that I like to eat at? Can I go on this awesome vacation or not? Can I buy a boat? Because <laughs> that sounds like a fun summer experience, right? We're worried about a better car or nicer clothes to make a social statement about our status. We're worried about getting a bigger house or a second house. Okay, people in this culture that Jesus was talking to would be laughing at us. Like, what? You're worried about a, a, a car? Like, I might not eat tomorrow, dude. Like, there are reasons to not, tr to, to overvalue money and to have to trust in God. We're, we're so much more justifiable than ours. If we're being honest with ourselves, right? I don't think I'm saying anything you don't know. It's just really uncomfortable for me to say it, right? because we try not to think about it. But it's absolutely true. And there's other things that are much more noble that we want, we want to retire well. But it's not about like, can we actually retire? It's more like, can I live the lifestyle that I want when I retire and go on these fun trips and do all of this stuff that I've wanted to always do? Better education for our kids, send them to that private school. Can I afford to do that? earn more so we can give more. Okay, these are more noble things, but they're still like the pursuit of wealth apart from just living in God's calling. So I say all of this to, to help us realize that we may convince ourselves, I'm not idolizing wealth, it's not money. I'm not like a stockbroker, just like make more money, make, 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 whatever. That's not me, but it's all these other things that are the idol that wealth buys us. And so we are essentially idolizing wealth. And that's what Jesus points us to here. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. And God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Okay? So he would say to us, don't worry about all those other things, about retirement, about getting a new car, about a bigger house, about all of the experiences that we want to buy, and don't worry about those things. <laughs> There's no way to live your life. Jesus is telling us that that is not the best way to be human. 
That's not what it means to be rich towards God. And you guys can come and get set up. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. He's saying this is an aspect. Worrying about this stuff is an aspect of the culture that creeps into your faith. But here's his antidote. So first is trust in God, as he's been saying, to provide for your needs. The second one is seek his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. Find your calling within God's kingdom. Are you called to an occupation that makes a lot of money, or are you not? Are you called to an occupation that doesn't make a ton of money? Either way, it's emphasizing how are you called to bring God's kingdom. That's the emphasis that should be in our mind, not how can I make enough money to live a comfortable, luxurious lifestyle. That is not the question. The question is, what have you called me to, God, to build your kingdom here on earth? And it's not just within the religious sphere, it's whatever occupation he may have called you to, as he called you to this. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Go ahead, prove it. Be generous that you're not owned by your stuff and your wealth. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not fail, will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another important one to memorize. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's what Jesus is primarily after. And that's something that generosity proves. It, how do we be rich towards God? Well, Jesus said it. We trust him to provide for our needs. We seek his kingdom first and look for our calling within his kingdom, whether that makes a lot of money or not. And we give generously. By giving generously, we invest in our time in heaven. We invest in the kingdom of God is essentially what Jesus is saying. We're putting treasure in heaven where moth and roast don't destroy. Let's pray, and I'll come back up and apply this later. Lord, God, we thank you for your word that is so direct and it teaches us. Lord, would your spirit guide us? And Lord, would you reveal to us that this truly is, again, the best way to live, that Jesus, the way you live, the way you taught about wealth and money is, is true, is good, and is the right way to live. So help us, Lord, to not just pursue prosperity. Help us to trust you, to seek your kingdom first, and to be generous. In Jesus' name, amen. If you guys need prayer while we're singing, uh, Michael and Kathleen are in the back, and they would love to pray with you. Please go back and pray with them.
Lord, we know that you are faithful and that you are good. And so, Lord, we trust you. We put our hope in you. We love you no matter what, Lord. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You guys can have a seat for a few moments. All right, so as Jesus says in Luke 12, what does it look like to be rich towards God? There's three important things. Trust him to provide for your needs. Seek his kingdom first. Give generously. So many of us... uh, when we look at these three things, I want to say this right at the outset before I, in case if I forget later. The application for today is the same as it was last week. Get alone with God, ask Him these questions, and see what you find. And see if you find, if you are rich towards God or not. Or if you are idolizing wealth or something else that wealth purchases for you. Get alone with God and ask him, do do, do I really trust you to provide for my needs? Or have I become so self-sufficient that I have eliminated you completely from the equation that I don't need you to provide? Or are you viewing your work, your provision as a gift from God that you are to then steward? Or are you viewing it as something that you have earned and that you have accomplished yourself. Seek his kingdom first. The occupation that you are currently in, is this what God has called you to? Or did you get into this just because it earned the most wealth or because you wanted to live a comfortable, luxurious, easy lifestyle? Ask him. I don't know these answers. I can't know these answers. So I can't tell you whether this is true for you or not. Ask him. Ask him these hard questions and dig into it. Are you truly seeking his kingdom first above your own personal prosperity and comfort? And then really give, give generously. Can you give joyfully and generously to the church here, to other nonprofit organizations? Is it a pain for you to be generous, whether you have great wealth or little to no wealth? Can you be generous? If you can't, that's a sign, that's a symptom, and should cue you in to recognize that maybe I'm not as rich towards God as I thought I was. I think the key is seeking God's kingdom first, as Jesus says here and as he says in Luke 12. He says it a couple other times in Mark 13. Two very short little uh, parables, I guess you can say, because they're illustrations. But he says, if it's like finding a pearl of great price where you sell all that you have and go purchase it. He says, it's like finding a treasure buried in a field and you joyfully go and sell all that you have in order to attain the kingdom of God. So if you find it hard to be generous and if you find it hard to trust God for provision for your needs, likely the symptom is you're, it's a symptomatic of your concept of the kingdom of God is too small. And as that grows, those things will become easier. As Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where is your treasure? What I want to focus on today is what 
A.J. Svoboda writes about in his, in his book, After Doubt, in the topic of deconstruction and reconstructing our faith, I think this is so, so vitally important for us to get a handle on. He says, we must embrace covenantal love with God. Part of trusting in God is learning to be disappointed by him. That is precisely how we learn to trust God through the worst of life. We learn to discern the difference between trusting in God and trusting in false beliefs about God that God never promised. That is huge. That is what leads to so much deconstruction. So as an example, we're going to sing King of My Heart next. And when we sing, you're never going to let me down. Uh, as we sing, as we were just singing that uh, you are faithful and you haven't failed me yet. Okay? <laughs> Some of you guys may be in here thinking like, well, I haven't been cured of whatever illness I've been praying for. So it feels like God has let me down, right? If we're honest with ourselves. Or if you're saying, I, I haven't struck it rich yet, I'm still struggling to make ends meet month by month. Has God disappointed me? Has God failed me? So when your expectations about God are wrong, it will seem as if he is disappointing you. It's not the feeling of disappointment. It's not ever sensing that God has let me down. That's the problem. It's our faulty assumptions about what God has actually promised. That's the problem. So you may feel let down sometimes, but it's not because God was unfaithful. It is because you have a wrong assumption about what God has promised. Does that make sense? And that is huge, you guys. He has promised things like he will never leave us or forsake us, that all things will work out for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes, that he who began a good work in you will carry it through to the end, that he'll return someday. He's promised those things. He has actually promised that in the new kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth, when Jesus returns, that our bodily ailments will be healed, that, our, that we will be at peace with God and we don't have to worry about our budget not adding up at the end of the month. But not now, not yet. That's a promise he's given us in eternity, in the new creation. He hasn't promised perfect health and prosperity in this life. He hasn't promised total comfort and luxury. He hasn't promised so many of the things that we're trusting him for. So the question is, will you still trust him knowing that he hasn't promised those things? Will you trust that he is good when you walk through pain? Do you trust that he loves you when you face rejection from others you love? Do you trust that he is with you when others have deserted you? Do you trust that he has your best interest in mind? That he's, what Paul means by that is he's forming you into the image of Christ when you face financial difficulties. And will you trust him to give you inner peace when the world is in turmoil? Will you trust him that there is fullness of joy in his presence when you're going through the midst of depression. I think of my friend Ronnie, a lot of you guys know, who's been suffering and in pain for two years now. The doctors took the doctors forever to figure out what was going on. We have prayed for healing for two years. 
and God hasn't answered it in the affirmative. And I don't know why. It doesn't make sense. It breaks my heart to watch him suffer the way that he is. And I can't explain it. One of the things that I want to say every time I sit down with him is, Ronnie, if you do this, this, and this, God will heal you. But I can't because it's a false promise and it's not true. And that'll destroy him further if he's believing in wrong ideas about God and what he's promised. That's what it means to embrace covenantal love with God. You don't embrace this relationship with God to get stuff from him. Next, he says, we would do well to make accurate promises about God to the young. I would also add to that, to the new believers in Christ, or to those who aren't yet following Jesus. Following God will be entirely painful and disruptive. Talk about this. Think of this for an evangelistic sermon. Following God will be entirely painful and disruptive. Hey, make Jesus your Lord. Uh, will you not, God will not give you everything you want. God will hurt your feelings. God's greatest goal in your life is not your best life now. God's dream for your life is not simply a good dental plan and a happy family. <laughs> we have to be so careful how we talk about this with new believers and with our children, with young people. I've been thinking about how I talk with my kids about this and out of an effort for me to uh, simplify the message for them, I think I've done this. <laughs> now they're six and eight, so. So this week I've had a conversation with them. I've, I've tried to simplify the message so much and when I listen to how they pray, they pray for things like for me to have a good day and that's cool, they're six and eight, right? They pray for each other, which is really cute. Shiloh prays for Ellie to have a good day at time at dance and uh, Ellie prays for Shiloh to do well at soccer practice and stuff. It's cute, it's cool. But that's not God's vision for their life is that they have a good day. <laughs> Sometimes they're gonna have a bad day and that'll be much more formative for them because it's making them into the image of Christ. So I shared with them in the car uh, the other day we were driving. And my prayer for Shiloh for the last couple of years has been to help him develop courage because he's naturally kind of a timid young man. He wants to watch everything play out 10 times before he'll do anything. And little did I know like, the way that this would carry itself out and God would teach him this was at the beginning of baseball this year we were in the batting cage and I was pitching to the whole team on the pitching machine and I had pitched to seven kids before Shiloh came up there and Shiloh's in there and pitch comes up and in and it just drills him in the face on a pitching machine That's, whatever um, he had a big old black eye we took him to the ER and made sure that it wasn't broken and all that stuff but kid was already terrified to stand in there because it was his first year of kids pitch and kids they'll throw one pitch at your head and then the next pitch will be eight feet outside and high next pitch will land pitch will land like five feet in front of them you have no idea where the ball is going and they're all getting hit and they're terrified because it hurts i can't even tell them it doesn't hurt it hurts when you get hit with this thing um, so he's terrified already and then he gets hit in the eye and man i was so proud of him and how god how god has produced courage in him through that moment because like, I was like, dude, he's done with baseball forever now. <laughs> after, after this happened, I don't think he's ever going to step back in there. And he did. Like, he got back in there. And it took him a while. But towards the end, toward the middle of the season, he was keeping his feet in there and he was swinging at the ball. And that's a stupid baseball example. 
but I tried to communicate to the kids. I told them this, like, buddy, this is an opportunity for you to produce courage in your life. And look at what God has done in you. But it hurt, didn't it? It was painful. But God produced something far more valuable in your life through this time. We have to be careful how we communicate to our children, to new believers. Are we making promises for God that God never promised? That one day they will have to find that it doesn't work like this and then deconstruct it, which can be a super painful process for them. An entire generation of young people my age through what is known as purity culture have been sold this false promise that if you uh, remain abstinent, if you follow God faithfully, if you do all the right things and you have faith and trust in God and whatever, you don't sin, especially sexually, then when you get married, well, one, God is going to provide a spouse for you. And then when you do get married, you're going to live happily ever after and you're going to have a blessed, awesome marriage. And then young people my age get married and they're like, man, this is hard. Like, I'm a jerk. My spouse is a jerk. This is really hard. Right? And they feel like they've been betrayed. Like this is a false promise that God isn't holding up to his end of the bargain. When all the while, that's not a promise that God made. He never made that promise. And so it's led to so much deconstruction and bad deconstruction at that. And then people don't reconstruct their faith around the truth of the gospel. We have to be careful that the promises that we make to our children, to new believers, are truly what God has promised. And it's not this false promise that everything will you'll be prosperous and you'll be healthy. God doesn't promise that. He ends it like this. Too often we don't love God. We love God for stuff. We don't trust God. We trust God for things. Do we trust God for nothing? Don't misconstrue what he's saying here. We can trust God for what he has actually promised. But are we trusting God just for stuff, just to get what we want out of him? It's this transactional, consumeristic relationship with God. We have to be very careful that we're promising the truth of what God has actually promised and that we're trusting him not just for the stuff that he gives us, for prosperity, for wealth and health, but for him, because he's worth it. So, trust him to provide. We seek his kingdom first and we give generously. We trust God. Seek his kingdom and give. That's what it means to be rich towards God. Let's pray. Lord, God, help us. As we meet with you this week and in the coming weeks, as we ask these hard questions of our heart, are we, Lord, are we trusting you for things that you've never promised? Are we truly seeking your kingdom first, living out of our calling? Are we able to give? Lord, would you expose the idolatry in our heart, the, the lies that we have bought into that are more cultural than Christian? And Lord, help us to build our life around the truth of what you have truly promised, God. And help us to live for you, Jesus, trusting that your way really is best, even when it doesn't seem to make sense, based on everything the culture tells us. In your name, Jesus, we pray.
Amen. Let's stand and sing one more song together. And again, if you guys need prayer, there's prayer available in the back. Please take time to go pray.
Trust in who you are. Trust that you are good. Trust in your promises that you have given us. Lord, help us not to go beyond that. To know that you are faithful, to know that you are good. Lord, to find our peace in you, not just in the stuff that you bring us. To put our hope in the coming of your kingdom when Jesus, you return and to work, Lord, to bring your kingdom here in the meantime. Thank you, Lord, for the promises that you have given us and who you are. Lord, we love you. Pray that your spirit would continue to do your work in us as we go from here today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you guys still need prayer, there's prayer available in the back. Again, please take that opportunity to pray. Now, thanks for worshiping with us. Have a great day.